0: The point is the gospel. He's going to use, in this entire portion of Scripture, this metric of what's sin and what's not sin. Is it distracting from the gospel or is it not distracting from the gospel? That is the whole point. Welcome to the Reach College Podcast. With your speaker, Dr. Taylor Gannon. All right, so I have I've spent a lot of time in my life talking on radios, um, like really expensive and fancy radios. Also, like you know, as a kid, you always get walkie talkies because that's like a great Christmas present. But by the time I got to the really expensive radios that I was using, they have all kinds of tricks to them. Um, for instance, one of the techniques that uh, the military has for their radios is called uh, channel hopping, and it is that all of the radios are set to a certain uh, frequency and time where they will change channels in, in coordination with each other. So that no one can find the channel because it's always moving, but all the radios know what channel they're on, right? And, they, and they're all still on the same channel together, no matter where you are, right? That's pretty neat. It's, a, um, it's neater in theory. It messes up a lot. And then you have to have these guys with you that are radio basically operators and their whole thing is to um, un- <laughs> unbreak, right? Because <laughs> it's, it's, it, they'll fall apart on you and they'll always mess up at the exact wrong moment, right? Because use radios in those situations to like coordinate things like bombs being dropped and you kind of have to be able to communicate and get the message across clearly because if you're not, it's dangerous and that's right when your radio decides that it's not going to do it's you know it's channel hopping correctly and you have to get your radio guy and he has to vigorously try to fix the problem right but the point of radios is actually to get the message to who to who we need it to go to clearly the goal is that the message is received by the people who need it and that it's not confusing right so we have things like encryption and Encryption is the codes that protect the message that we're sending, but encryption wouldn't help if when it got to the person who it needed to get to, it was still encrypted when it got there, then they'd be like, "Great, we haven't communicated because even though you said something to me it's it's in code that I don't have the key to right? They need to have the message interpreted now we do that by computers we do that by a whole bunch of fancy technology. But if we aren't making the message clear, then the radio has not helped us. It hasn't done anything for us. And when the radio stops doing what it's supposed to do, then all of a sudden we have to resort to other means to get the message across, right? Sometimes when your radio breaks down, depending on how far away the people you're trying to talk to are, you literally have to send somebody called a runner because they have to sprint... (laughs) Back to the people who you're trying to talk to and tell them, hey, our radio's broken and here's what we need. And that's, by the way, how they did it like half the time going back to like the 40s. They would very often not have working radios or not have uh, enough radios and they would just send somebody running. Well, why? Because the message needed to be understood. It needed to be communicated clearly. Right. And when they don't when you don't communicate the message clearly, you haven't really communicated at all. Right, And so we are in a series called Church Fails, Right, and the reason we're calling it Church Fails is because when you look at the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is marching through this whole book, and he essentially says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, make everything about love, love is not these things, and don't do this and don't do this, right? That's the whole book. That's why we're calling it Church Fails. It's a reminder of this theme in 1 Corinthians that is really kind of in the negative, like stop doing the things you're doing wrong, right? And it's important for us to understand that because today we're going to finally reach some of the kind of climax of this discussion on tongues, and it's important for us to not take it out of the context of all of 1 Corinthians, because it. It doesn't fit the context of 1 Corinthians if Paul says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, do this don't, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And that's how we take it. Or that's how a lot of people take it. They want to cherry pick certain verses and they want to say, well, see, it's right there. It says I can do it. And they don't take into account the context of the entire discussion. So today, we're going to look at this discussion and we're going to ask ourselves, really, what is Paul's point in this discussion, right? Because what what you're not going to see is Paul is not going to come right out and say, this is the wrong way, this is the right way, just do this one. And it's going to be really frustrating because you're going to be like, why doesn't he just outline it, right? Because he's going to stick with a the theme he's already given us. See, the theme that started in uh, chapter 12 is the theme of, Spiritual people. Now, in that, what what he's talking about is he's saying there are those among you who are basically trying to claim some kind of extra spiritualness, right? That you are somehow more spiritual or more gifted. And what he begins to reveal is the people in the church in Corinth who are speaking in tongues are acting superior to everyone else. And what he starts to do is he starts to outline like, hey, fine, speak in tongues, but. Quite frankly, it's at the bottom of the list of, of spiritual gifts. It doesn't make you the most superior person in the church. And that's what he outlines in chapter 12. Then he moves on into 13 and he begins something or he, he starts to finish something. He actually started in chapter 10, which is saying, how do I identify what's sin and what's not sin? So he started in chapter 10 by saying, you identify it by what is distracting from the gospel or not. Right? It's not about legalism. It's not about a bunch of rules. It's about, is the gospel being made clear? And the reason that that concludes in 13 is because as he gets to chapter 13, he's going to say, how do, you want to know how you can always navigate whether or not you're distracted from the gospel? Love other people. Because if you love other people, you will do whatever it takes to get the gospel across to them, and you will stop doing anything that is distracting them from the gospel. Right? And so Paul is walking through these kind of two parallel themes. Sin is distracted from the gospel. Love is not distracting from the gospel. And if you really want to be spiritual, right? Then stop focusing on just oh you speak in tongues and focus on how you love other people. That's how you be a spiritual person, right? In a in a way that matters. And we see at the beginning of 13 this kind of like um hyperbole of this perfect Christian. This over exaggeration where he's like, so what if you think you've achieved all these things but you don't love other people? It does nothing for you. Right? And we're going to see today almost the conclusion of this so what theme as he begins to talk about speaking in tongues and navigate the nuance of them, okay? So let's talk about what speaking in tongues is. We need to understand what speaking in tongues is. Speaking in tongues is a testimony, okay? Bottom line. Now, the reason I describe it like that is because you have to understand that there is essentially two camps. There's a camp that says, well, it's an act of worship. And then there's a camp that says, well, it's it's a way that we spread the gospel through foreign languages, okay? And at the heart of both of those answers, they're both right. Okay? So you need to understand this. What is spreading the gospel? It's testifying to who God is. What is worship? What is prayer in the in the corporate sense in front of people? It is testifying to the gospel. They are the same thing, right? And so Paul is saying that that in the in the part of tongues that is uh, this testimony, keep doing that. But whatever part of what you're doing is not that testimony, is not that spreading the gospel, that's just a distraction. That's not the point, right? And so we see uh, tongues for the first time at Pentecost. So the, the believers of Pentecost, they are waiting for the Holy Spirit, and they're praying, and the Holy Spirit uh, settles on them, and a bunch of them, maybe all of them, maybe not, it's not, clear in the text. Go out into the into the festival of Pentecost that's going on the streets of Jerusalem, and they begin speaking in tongues. Okay, well, there's a couple things that are key about that moment. One thing is the different people that have come from all over the world to celebrate Pentecost are hearing them in their first languages. Right now, you need to understand this is a time period and a part of the world in human history. They're they're not like us. They spoke multiple languages. Right. I know very few of us can do that. Victor's got it covered, right? But, but very few of us can speak multiple languages, but they could. they could. More than two a lot of times, right? But they had a home language or a native language or a, their, their first language, but then they also all spoke probably Greek, probably Aramaic, right? They, they had common languages. And that was just natural. That was the way they grew up in their societies. So what happens is the believers flood out at Pentecost and begin speaking in tongues, and people are hearing them in their first language, in their heart language, in the language that they pray in and think about God in. Okay, and they look at each other and, in their common language, go, "Are you hearing them in your in your home language, in your first language? Yeah, are you? Yeah, I am. This is weird. Isn't that guy just a a, a Hebrew that lives in that that lives in Jerusalem? How's he? How am I hearing him in one language and you're hearing him in another language? Right. And then there are some people who aren't hearing anything but Babel. Right. They're not understanding a language. Right. They're just seeing the Babel. They're probably people who live in Jerusalem who are only hearing the foreign languages as they sound into a foreigner. Right. And so then here's the here's an operative question about how we're going to interpret this text. We're going to be in today. Is there an interpreter at Pentecost? Yes, it's Peter. Peter immediately jumps up and says, Let me tell you what they're proclaiming. They're proclaiming the gospel. And then in the common tongue that everybody can listen to, he presents the gospel. And he says, this is what they're talking about. They're just giving a testimony to who Jesus Christ is. And he lays it out. So now, what do you have? You have this supernatural manifestation of foreign languages to testify to who God is and spread the gospel with an interpreter. Literally, the model for everything tongues should be is in this one passage at Pentecost in Acts, and we're going to see now how that has been uh, twisted a little bit and what's going on in Corinth and how Paul is going to navigate that problem. Now, one of the one of the um, uh, one thing I want you to know about tongues is is you have to understand at its at its heart, tongues is a reversal of what happened at the Tower of Babel. Okay, think about it like this. At the Tower of Babel, people who are supposed to be testifying to who God is testified to their own greatness, and God caused a division of languages so that they could not glorify themselves. Tongues is when the Holy Spirit reverses the curse of Babel so that humans can do what they're supposed to be doing and testify to God's glory. That is the whole point of tongues. Okay, and uh, so so let's talk about what's happening in Corinth. Corinth is like one of the most pagan cities in the world at this time, right? They've got tons of idol worship, tons of different cults and sects, and and they they do all these different things. That's why the meat sacrifice to idol was such a big discussion to the people in Corinth because they're like, well, I'm a believer, I'm free in Christ, can't I eat this you know meat I bought at the market? And other believers are like, no, that's a that's idol worship. And Paul's like. Are you distracting from the gospel or not? Right? And that's how he outlines it. So then you get all the way to this point, And what we're seeing is that people in Corinth are becoming Christians and they're bringing cult practices into the church as baby believers. And the church in Corinth doesn't know necessarily how to uh, regulate that. Right? Because they're having – I mean they can't regulate basic sin. Right? They have sexual immorality in their, in their congregation. They – they for sure don't know how to regulate somebody bringing in a, a practice that may or may not be of the Holy Spirit. Right now, let's talk about why, why we don't know and why Paul doesn't just say, stop doing the cult thing. Like why, did, like, why does he do that? Because that, that's what we want. We want Paul to say, when you do this, it's the cult thing. Stop doing that. Do this. That's, that's tongues from the Holy Spirit. Here's the problem to the person who cannot understand the tongues. They look the exact same. Think about it like this. If you are telling somebody the gospel in a foreign language that I've never heard and don't know about, what am I hearing? Gibberish and babble. I like, I'm not going to pick that up. I don't know what you're saying. Right. But at the same time, right. Somebody who's doing the cult practice, which today, a lot of times I'm going to refer to it as um, ecstatic speech, right? Ecstatic speech really is just babbling. And if you, Maybe if you've lived in a culture where you hear a lot of languages that you're not real familiar with and they sound like babbling and then somebody's really just babbling, you'd be like, "Uh, I don't know the difference, right? And so Paul is not going to regulate it like that. Why? Because that would just be another form of legalism, right? Paul's not trying to regulate an action. He's trying to get to the heart of the matter, which is, are you spreading the gospel or are you distracting from the gospel? Are you spreading it or preventing it? That's what matters. So he never satisfies the the itch we have in our in our like legalistic rule following mindsets to just be like, just tell me the thing I can't do. Just tell me the thing I can't do and I'll stop doing it. That's all I want to know. Right. And Paul's not going to do that. He's going to outline what the problem is. OK. So so uh, the one differentiation that that happens in the text is he's going to go back and forth between the use of the word tongues as a plural and the use of the word tongues as a singular. Now, here's what scholars think is happening there. He's not, he's not busy necessarily defining the terms. What he's doing is when he uses the plural, he is talking about tongues, the practice of testifying to God and spreading the gospel. And when he says tongue, singular, he's referring to the issue going on in the Corinth church. He's not saying they're not the same thing, but he's, he's using the difference between the tongues that we know is of the Holy Spirit and what, what it is that we're talking about going on in your church right now, right? And so he's going to jump back and forth between the two. And once we understand that, that he's using those words intentionally, side by side in some places, then we understand how he is navigating and regulating the issue at hand, okay? So the first question is this. What is the point of spiritual gifts? They are for the edification of the body. And then the question becomes, okay, what's the point of edification? Like, why why do I need to be edified? What am I trying to do? And the point of edification is to be sanctified by the gospel. Like, that's it. Now, I always tell you guys this. I want you to understand. There is not a Christianity 2.0, right? You're justified in faith by the gospel. That's what saves you. And the rest of your life the growth that you experience of your understanding of the gospel is what grows you into a more Christ-like individual. You don't leave the gospel back here at your justification, go, okay, take it into heaven, check. And then now let's get into advanced Christianity and all the special stuff. No, the whole book cover to cover is about the gospel. Okay. So edification is in whatever form of spiritual gift that I have. I am helping you go deeper in your understanding of the gospel. You are being sanctified by the gospel. Whether I'm the person who's setting up the the tech and the mics backstage and you never see me, but I'm still contributing to you understanding the gospel more. Or maybe I'm the guy literally standing in the front of the classroom expositing a text. All I'm doing is by my spiritual gift, helping you understand the gospel to a greater degree. Right? That's the whole point. That's what edification is. Okay, long intro. So now, look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, starting in verse 1. "'Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries.' but the one who prophesies speaks to people for edification, exhortation, and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but rather that you would prophesy, and the greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edification. Okay, so let's let's navigate this text. The first thing we see in verse 1 is essentially... The thesis statement of this entire chapter, what he's saying, he's jumping off from what he talked about in chapter 13, where he said, pursue love, right? He's saying, he's saying love is the point. Love is going to help you navigate sin, not sin. Love is going to help you navigate how you use your spiritual gifts and whether they're appropriate. Do this all in love, pursue love, right? So that's the starting point. And then he, he moves from this thesis statement to verse two, And I want you to understand what's happening here. This is where we begin to misread Paul. Paul regularly, in all kinds of places in the Bible, and uh, John does this, Peter does like, they they do this all the time in the New Testament. He is going to paraphrase and quote his opponent's argument, right? This is important, because when we read some things, like, he literally says in here, uh, the one who does this, in verse 4, he says, the one who does this edifies himself. He's not saying that is a true statement he's saying this is the argument this is the summary right and he's paralleling that to the reality that that's not the point of spiritual gifts right he's saying okay the one who prophesies edifies everybody right and you're saying the one who who speaks in tongues just supposed to edify himself right that's the tone of this entire first portion of scripture is paul is saying okay here's the discussion we're having just so i'm clear Preaching edifies everybody, but tongues just edifies the person that's speaking in tongues. Like, that's what you're telling me? Okay, so he's going to begin to dissect this argument. He even he even gives us clues. He says, he says, okay, so the one who speaks in tongues is speaking the mysteries of the word, right? But what do we know about that word mystery from the whole rest of the testimony of the New Testament? The mysteries have been revealed. The whole point was that Jesus made it clear what the gospel was. So Paul is not using that language as a as a this mystical kind of uh praise of like oh yeah the mysteries. I'm so glad you guys are preaching the mysteries. He's saying so you're making the things that Jesus made clear, the mysteries of the Old Testament, you're making those things back into mysteries? You're speaking in a way that those things cannot be understood and cannot be received by people? You see how this is not this is not uh, uh him saying, yeah, keep doing this thing. Keep keep preaching the mysteries. He's saying, wait, what? What are you doing, right? That's the entire tone of this first portion. He's summarizing this kind of argument that's happening. And he's saying, you should do everything you do for edification, for love. It's the point of the gifts to edify other people. Now, keep in mind, he has not said, tongue's not a real thing. He's talking about this specific thing happening in their church where he says, okay, your explanation of what's happening in your church is that it's only edifying the one person doing it. Does that make sense? Right. And then as he 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 then switches in verse five to the plural form and he says, I wish you all spoke in tongues. And we're like, th- again, this contributes to the confusion of the passage because you're like, I'm not. Am I supposed to do it or am I not supposed to do it? Why would Paul say he wants me to do it? Well, first of all, we have to understand he just switched back to what we understand tongues to be, this testimony to who God is, and he can genuinely say, I wish every single one of you spoke in tongues. I wish that the gospel was being made clear across linguistic boundaries and barriers all the time. Of course I wish you did that, right? He's not being disingenuous. He's saying, okay, wait a minute. This thing is for your own edification, just you singular? No, I, I would rather you do the thing that, that allows you to, to spread the gospel. That's what I want. And then he clarifies it even further because he says, okay, but even speaking in tongues to, cl- to, to spread the gospel, it does no good if no one can understand it, right? If there's no one to interpret. He says, then why wouldn't you just rather preach in a way that then edifies everyone who hears, everyone who listens, right? And that's, that's the parallel that he's giving here. He's saying the point is edification, The point is the gospel. He's going to use, in this entire portion of Scripture, this metric of what's sin and what's not sin. Is it distracting from the gospel or is it not distracting from the gospel? That is the whole point. So then he's going to launch into what disrupts this edification. What keeps edification from happening in the way that it's supposed to happen? Look at verse 6. But now... But now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching, yet even lifeless instruments, whether a flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played, on the flute or on the harp? For if the trumpet produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So you too, unless you produce intelligible speech by the tongue, How will it be known what is spoken for you will just be talking to the air? Okay. So let's keep going in this. Look at look at what he's saying. The first thing he says in verse six, he's continuing with the plural use of tongues. He's talking about tongues in the sense of the testimony that spreads the gospel. Right. And he's he's talking about that in verse six. And he says, that what good would I do to you if I came to you speaking in t- the tongues that we know to be of the Holy Spirit and yet none of you understood? There was no one to interpret, and no one understood what I was saying. What good would that do? Wouldn't that actually just hinder the message? Wouldn't that actually just stop you from hearing the gospel, stop you from being edified, right? And he parallels that against four time ty- four types of under- understood speech, right? So he basically says, "Would you rather?" use teaching and knowledge and and all these things that actually edify and build up and show people the gospel in a clear way right why would that not be better right and all of those those four gifts that he gives there is essentially that they just have one thing in common they can all be understood right that's the that's the 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 uh comparison he's making these can all be understood and you're telling me that you'd rather do this one that doesn't help and can't be understood, right? And he's talking about at this point, he's not even talking about what's going on in the church. He's even talking about just what he agrees that tongues is in the edifying sense. He's like, if there's nobody around to understand it, even the real you know, good way to do it doesn't help. It's pointless. Why would you want that? Why would you want to do that thing, right? And really what he's taking a shot at is this group of people in the church of Corinth who want to speak in tongues, not because they want to spread the gospel, because they want to look like they're more spiritual than everyone else, right? Because who looks more spiritual? The guy that can miraculously speak a language that he couldn't speak before or the guy who just like reads the text and explains it to you, right? One of those guys looks like way cooler. And that's the problem is a bunch of these people in Corinth are like, I want that one. I want the flashy one, the one that makes me look like I'm some kind of spiritual titan, right? And he's saying, stop that. You're not navigating that for love, and for edification, you're actually disrupting that, right? And then in verse 7, he says, if a flute and a harp don't play music in a way that can be understood, picture like two people playing two instruments, but they're playing different songs. And then even, even in the playing the songs, they're really just kind of using the sheet music as like uh, uh, like an inspiration for like the idea of playing music. But they're really just like playing random notes in random orders, right? It doesn't make any sense. And it's just – and like he's like, okay – what, you, wouldn't even, you wouldn't even be able to tell what instrument was being played. You wouldn't be able to tell what was happening. And here's the thing. I think that there's even a, a, a further implication happening here. Paul is saying, we're having this argument over whether or not what you're doing is what we know tongues to be. But here's the thing. If it can't be understood, how will we ever even tell if you're really doing it or not? Right? And that's why he uses two instruments, because he goes, okay... I can't tell if it's a flute or a harp because they're both playing too loud, random notes for no edification, so we have no idea, right? And this is, again, why Paul doesn't go out of his way to regulate it because he's not dealing with something that's that's cut and dry, black and white. He's going, I don't know, it sounds like you're all yelling to me. I can't tell who's speaking in tongues and who's making it up, right? That's the whole point of what he's getting at here, right? He's telling them, I can't tell the difference between you who are speaking in a tongue and you who are speaking tongues, right? I have no idea. I don't know how to tell the difference. Okay. So here's the question. How do we like, how do we look at spiritual gifts? And I want, I want to take a second here to talk about spiritual gifts in general, because I want you guys to understand that we have focused on all of the wrong things about spiritual gifts. As a matter of fact, let's put it like this. We care about every aspect of spiritual gifts that Scripture explicitly does not care to give us answers on. Okay, let's let's list a few of these questions. Is it my natural talent or is it a spiritual gift? How do you tell the difference? That answer is not in Scripture. Okay, let me let's keep going. Uh, is it my natural talent, but it's being blessed with with you know kind of this extra mm-hmm, from the Holy Spirit? Not answered. Right. Uh, is it just purely supernatural? Like we know that it's a gift, but we don't, we don't know like exactly how that, uh, exactly how, what that means as far as how it affects us. Right. I don't, I don't get up here right to exercise my spiritual gift and then just kind of float into a trance and like, uh, God just like puppets my mouth and like scripture comes out. Right. That's not how it works. Right. I don't understand how, like what part of this is all the Holy spirit. I know this, I get too far to the other side thinking I'm I'm the one managing this show and I'm start falling flat on my face every time I try to do it. Right. There's no blessing in it. God doesn't use it for anything because I'm glorifying myself, which is which is not when he's going to reverse the curse of Babel. Right. Because I'm I'm using it for the inappropriate use of my own glorification. Right. So so then the next question is this. Do I only get one spiritual gift? Right. Like there are some passages that seem to indicate that. Okay. Okay. Here's another one. Do, is the spiritual gift I get the one I get forever, or does God manifest different spiritual gifts at different moments to to teach me to, to allow me to spread the gospel in different ways at different times? I don't know. I don't need to speak in tongues right now. All of you can hear me in English, and it makes sense. But what if I'm in a country where no one understands the gospel? Maybe God's going to give me tongues in that moment to spread the gospel in a way that I'm I i do not need to do right now. I don't know. Okay, and here's the point. None of these questions are answered in scripture. Do you know that we have three lists of spiritual gifts and none of them match? And it's clear that none of them are even comprehensive. They're not designed to be like, here's all the spiritual gifts, right? Just God's going to give you. It's not a video game where you just like pick different ones to put like skill points in and like you level up in them, right? It's not how it works. Okay, and here's why I'm saying all this. You need to understand what is the point of a spiritual gift it is the confirmation of the holy spirit in your life for the spreading of the gospel and the edification of the body that is the point of a spiritual gift so you don't actually need to know like is this my spiritual gift or my natural talent you don't need to know is this is this totally supernatural you don't need to know do i only ever get one can i use it at will or not at will you need to know this it is for you to look internally and say Wow. The Holy Spirit is in me. I have God. I am am a child of the living God. It's an assurance and for the use of the spreading of the gospel and the edification of the believers, right? And if you will focus on that, the the answers we actually get from scripture, then you won't spend all this time on, on the internet taking quizzes, trying to figure out which spiritual gift you have, right? And I'm gonna keep hammering this one home. You wanna figure out your spiritual gift? Serve in the church, right? And wherever you feel the most filled up, Right? And and listen, God wants to see your servant heart. So take a few laps in some in some service opportunities that don't fill you up. Right? Just be obedient. Go, okay, there's a spot here, and I'm not serving the church. I'm gonna serve here. And after you do a tour of duty in that spot, and you're like, I did not like that at all, then then don't re-up, right? Move on. Go to the next one, right? And eventually, God, after, he's, after you see your servant's heart, after he's taught you to have a servant's heart, is going to plug you into a specific spot and go, here's your spiritual gift. Here's what I'm, I'm empowering you to do that's going to fill you up and spread the gospel and edify the body, right? That's how you find your spiritual gift. You plug in, you serve the church, right? Listen, there is, there is a Guatemala, Guatemala mission trip coming up. And there is an info meeting for that mission trip. And you know how you, you know how you like you think, well, like is God going to call me to missions? You don't know how like you might hear God call you to missions? Go somewhere where they're talking about missions. Like like a lot of you are doing this. God, I will go on a mission trip if you tell me to go on a that does nothing, right? Like that is not going to let you hear God's call in your life. Okay, you have to actually go put yourself in place. Listen, I took them, I just got done with my missiology class in my seminary. And I went in that class and I said, Okay, God, I'm ready. You want to call me to be a missionary? This is, I'm, I'm in the class. I'm going to listen. I'm going to pray about missions. I'm going to read about missions. Give me the call. Well, that's not the call in my life. But I'm not, I'm, listen, <laughs> I, I get so bored sometimes. I'm just like, God, you just say the word, I'll move so fast, like right? I will be out of here, right? But that's that's not the that's not the point, right? The point is I'm I'm willing. I want to see God show me what He has for me, and I'm putting myself in positions where I can get that message. Go to an info meeting. They don't like bar the door and like you have to sign up for this trip or we're not letting you out of the room, right? Like they just want to tell you about missions. Okay, so that's the kind of opportunity you have to take. So. Um, My dad talks about a mission trip he we went on a long time ago to Africa where uh, at one point the church basically said the equivalent of everybody pray out loud, one, two, three, go. right? And they all started praying out loud. And he watched that in horror because he said, this does not honor God. And he said God just smacked him upside the head and said, why, why can't this please me? Why can't this be worship, right? It just wasn't his cultural context. But here's the thing. Nobody in that church was distracted from the gospel. They were just praying out loud, just every single one of them. Imagine if our whole church prayed out loud at the same time, right? Right? But in that culture, it wasn't a distraction. Okay, well, then some years later, my dad was in India, and he was at a different church, and he saw a very similar thing. And he was sitting there just thinking, well, oh, this is what they do here. And the pastor he was with, not the pastor of the church they were in, just the pastor he was with, walked up to the pulpit and said, well, the way my dad tells the story is he started tearing into them. And they all quieted down, and then they just sang normal worship. And the guy went back and sat down next to my dad. And my dad said, what would you say? And he said, I told him that they need to stop acting so shamefully and disgracefully, and that if they didn't stop, I was going to take the American, and we were going to leave. And my dad looked at him and said, Well, how do you know that wasn't of the holy spirit and the guy kind of looked at him and went if that was of the holy spirit i wouldn't have been able to stop it see here's the thing that pastor understood in his culture what they were doing was distracting from the gospel he understood that that wasn't god honoring you see the difference they looked the same to my dad he didn't know either way but in the context they were in one did distract from the gospel and one didn't distract from the gospel That is the principle by which we navigate this problem. We don't just go, well, here's the the circle I drew around the actions that are not God-honoring. Life doesn't work like that. And we shouldn't endeavor to make it work like that. In verse 8, he says, if a trumpet sounds and it doesn't make the right notes, it's not distinguishable, who will get ready for battle? See, that was a common thing in their time period. What he's saying is, If you preach the gospel in a way that nobody can distinguish what it means, who will respond to it? Who will hear the gospel and respond and know Jesus? They won't know how to respond if you're using a tongue that does not communicate the gospel correctly. Essentially, Paul's going to say, if the tongue you're speaking is not edifying, it's not the tongues we know spreads the gospel, then it's it's not real it's you're he says you're speaking to the air, you're accomplishing nothing, right, so the point of this passage is that paul Paul really is kind of differentiating between this idea of ecstatic speech and this idea of tongues and spreading the gospel, but he's doing it through the outcome right he's not he's not trying to navigate well that one sounds like a real language, and that one doesn't sound like a real language because again, if you can't understand either, you can't tell the difference he's saying. Which one of these things is spreading the gospel? Because the other one, stop doing that. Whatever that looks like. Because otherwise you're just talking to the air. Look at verse 10. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. When I was a child, oh, I'm sorry, I jumped back to chapter 13. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, honestly, it's a great passage. We might as well. But he says, there are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and none is incapable of meaning. So if I do not know the meaning of, a, of the language, I will be unintelligible to those who, to, to the one who speaks, and to the one who speaks will be unintelligible to me. So you too, since you are eager to possess spiritual gifts, strive to excel for the edification of the church. Okay. So the first thing you need to understand is in Corinth at the time, they had that was a big seafaring town. They had a lot of ports, and they had a lot of sea traffic. It's like, has anyone here ever been to Seattle, Seattle Airport or anything? Listen, if you go to Seattle Airport, there's like – it's like the whole world is represented in nationality in that one airport because it's an it's a intersection of, of international travel. So there's just tons of different people there from all over the world. That was Corinth. Corinth was a place that was an intersection of international travel because of its seaports. So it had tons of different cultures, and you want to talk about a melting pot? Corinth was the melting pot. Okay, everybody was in Corinth. And what Paul says is you all know that there are tons of languages. But which of those languages has no meaning? Which of those languages does not communicate, does not get a message across? See, he's saying you of all people where you live know there's a tons of languages. Some of them sound like gibberish to you. And yet, you know that they have a message. And that there's a that that message is being communicated to somebody, not just to the air. He says there's no there's none without meaning. The confusion that's being created by the way you're practicing this tongue is something that's just hindering communication, right? The, the phrasing is a little bit weird in in um, verse eleven. It was it was hard for me to under, uh, understand exactly what Paul was saying. I had to get into the commentaries where what what he's saying is essentially uh, if i'm speaking in a, a tongue you don't understand or you in a tongue i don't understand we're not having a conversation we're just we're just completely unable to be uh, to be intelligible to each other right this is not helpful and then in verse 12 he he reverts back to the theme that started in in chapter 12 when he says you who are trying to be so spiritual right so he's saying at the end in verse 12 here he says okay you guys that are striving to be so spiritual, here's how you do it. Figure out how to edify the church. Stop striving just for this way to show off and figure out how you can edify the body and and spread the gospel. That is the point of these spiritual gifts. That is what will make you a spiritual person. See, the gospel is was made clear to you. You received it because the Holy Spirit made it clear the Holy Spirit is not then taking the gospel and trying to veil it from other people hearing it. And your endeavor, your heart, should be for the th- same exact thing that the Holy Spirit's heart is for, which is to make the gospel clear to other people. It was made clear to you, now go make it clear to all the nations. That's the whole point. See, here's the thing about tongues. That here's the division right here. Tongues makes the gospel clear. So any version of tongues that makes the gospel less clear isn't the right way to do it. That's not the point. Remember, it's the reversing of what's happening at Babel, not the continuation of what's happening at Babel, not the the almost worsening of what happened at Babel. It's that somebody who can't speak your language would hear the gospel in a clear way. That is the whole point. So I I want to stop in this moment and I just want to I want to take a second and I want to talk about the gospel because the conviction that that was laid on my heart as I was preparing this message was and I I hope that every time we we come into this classroom and we study the Bible that we talk about the gospel. I hope that that never ever is missed, okay? So that being said, sometimes I find myself guilty of talking about the gospel but using language that only really makes it clear to people who already know what I'm talking about, right? And my conviction is that on any given Sunday, somebody could be in this room who it's it's not clear enough yet. It hasn't clicked. It hasn't made its way into their heart. And because of that, they need to hear the gospel in the plainest possible terms, right? Even using the word gospel is insufficient now. Because if you go, this is actually one of my techniques for how I share the gospel. I ask people, hey, do you know what the gospel is? And most people don't even know what the word means, right? The, the, the Like the variation answer closer to is, well, it's like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? And sort of, right? It's, those are the books that hold the message, right? But that's not the gospel, right? And so what I get a lot of times is I get the perfect open door because I say, do you know what the gospel is? And they go, no, I've never heard of that. And I get to go, oh, cool, let me explain it. And then I just don't stop talking until the whole gospel's out, Right? <laughs> right? That's that's the way to share the gospel right there. And it only works in a society where people don't know what the gospel is, right? So, I'm going to take a second and we're going to talk about the gospel because I want you to hear it in the clearest possible terms. Right? We know that the gospel is the good news. We know that the gospel is the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross, but It's it's the redemptive action of God across all time, and it takes place in a moment in time on the cross by Jesus Christ. But let's talk about what this is, right? Here's the gospel. The whole point of the Bible from cover to cover is that God wanted to make a way for us to be in connection with him because that connection with him, the one we were built to have, it's been broken by your sinful actions, right? Not just Adams a long time ago, not somebody sitting next to you, not the person who hurt you yesterday. You. You. You have a broken relationship with God because of your sinful actions, and God loves you so much he desperately wants to close this gap, All right? The redemptive work of God is that he was closing this gap literally from the moment it was created, okay, and so what happened was because man owed God, but only God could pay God, God had to become man because only God could pay the debt, but only man owed the debt so Jesus In human form, God Himself came to earth, lived a perfect life, which you cannot do, and then died, which He did not deserve, but you do deserve, so that instead of you dying, you can live. And then, to top it all off, He came back from the dead to prove that it worked. And I tell people this all the time. Why is it that Paul says in Romans 10, to believe in the resurrection because every single one of you can die on a cross and none of you can come back from it right Jesus proved that he was God and that he had paid the price because what he did on the cross didn't keep him dead. He resurrected and you have to be connected to him you have to believe in his redemptive work on the cross and and I want you to hear me out on this you have to believe in his redemptive work on the cross and nothing else right? It's not Jesus and tongues, Jesus and baptism, Jesus and my good works. It is none of these things. It is Jesus and Jesus Christ alone is the work he did that saves us. And when you believe that, when you have faith in that, when your hope is in that, you're saved. That's the whole point. That is what we're trying to do. And if you don't understand that, if that's not clear to you, don't be content to not understand it. Don't be content with that. And here's the deal, to whatever extent it is clear to you, do you want to grow as a believer? Understand it more, understand it better. That's why we tell you to read this book every day because every day you read this book, God is trying to show you even more clearly what it is about, what the gospel is. That's the whole point. That's the only reason they stand up here every Sunday is because I spend all week trying to make the gospel as clear as possible in one specific passage so that we can all benefit. Me included, I get a lot of benefit about uh, from my whole week of being in a concentrated passage trying to get the gospel out. Of. That is the whole point. It's making the gospel clear. So my last point is what's the point? Right? What's the point? This is the conclusion of a theme that Paul starts with the whole discussion on spiritual gifts of saying, what's the point of all this? Why are we doing it? Why do, we, why do we want to talk about spiritual gifts? Why do we want all these things? There's a book called How God Changes Your Brain. This book is written by um, some neuroscientists that are not believers, right? They are just scientists. And what they did was they went to a bunch of religious groups, uh, believers, non believers, they went to uh, different denominations and they did brain scans and they did neuroscience analysis on different people of different faiths while they were performing their different actions in their faith. Okay. Now here's what they found out. They went and they did a brain scan on a nun while on several nuns, while they were meditating, just meditating on scripture. And then they did another brain scan on a bunch of Pentecostals while they were speaking in tongues. Okay. And here's what they discovered. They discovered that in the nun, while she was meditating on scripture, her frontal lobe, was all lit up, right? The frontal lobe is the part of your brain that deals with your logic, your ideas about who God is, your relationship to him, right? It's what tells you who you are, and they said that people who meditated and simulated their frontal lobe a lot resulted in a serenity and a peace, almost like the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. They said in the other side that the that people who did an ecstatic speech or speaking in tongues, right? The, the uh, academic term for this is glossolalia. And they said that that form, it increased your uh, uh, parietal frontal circuit. Okay? What that is, is it's actually the language center of the brain. Why is that? Because as you speak in tongues, you are activating the part of your brain that is specifically designed for language. Right? That's what you're doing. You're trying to come up with words. You're trying to speak. Right? So you're increasing that part. You're also increasing your amygdala. Okay? Your amygdala is the part of your brain that that deals with your emotions, that stirs up your feelings. Okay? It also is the part of your brain that makes you have the emotion of fear to God. And I'm not talking about the kind of fear that we're encouraged to have in the Bible. I'm talking about servile fear, like God is scary type of fear right your amygdala is where that emotion resides okay so let's look at this when people spoke in tongues their frontal lobe was suppressed they didn't meditate on their ideas or logic about god but instead they had an emotional experience of god okay turns out when people meditate what they do is they focus on uh like a scripture they meditate on the word of god and here's what happens the language center of their brain is actually decreased to the point where the boundary between them and God starts to disappear. So, people who meditate feel like they are at one with God, right? But here's what language does language is inherently designed to set a boundary between you and me. The reason we use language is because I have to communicate to you because we are not one. You are not thinking what I am thinking, I have to use words. So, when you when you actually light up the language center of your brain, it actually increases the feeling that you and God are separate entities because you are having to communicate to him instead of being meshed with him. Right? So here's my question for you. I want you to see the two takeaways from this. One is, is it any wonder that people who speak in tongues say that they experience God? If you stimulate the part of your body that, or the part of your brain that creates emotions, of course you have an experience. Yes, that's the point. That's what you're doing. You're working up an emotion, which makes you have an emotional experience, an encounter, right? Okay, now don't, don't mishear me. You will and you should experience God. And you should and you will in emotional ways. But that's not the same as manufacturing it. All right? Understand this. Your experience of God has to has to always for your entire life has to fit in the boundaries of scripture, right? Can you go take a drug and have a religious experience? People say they do all the time. And I will tell you right now, that is not, that is not how God wants us to come to him. 100%. So could you go take a drug and feel like you met God? Of course you can, but that doesn't fit within the boundaries of scripture. It is the wrong way to approach God, right? So your experience has to match what scripture says, right? Your emotions will be stimulated, but you shouldn't be going through the motions to stimulate them yourself, right? You should be letting God stimulate your emotions. Here's the deal. Why do you think that so many, uh, so much of the like, I don't like Hillsong elevation music, why do you think that music has gotten so long? you ever heard one of those songs recently? It's like 20 minutes on one song. You seen the chorus over and what are they doing? They've desensitized their entire congregation to the point where they have to to sit in the emotional experiential place for longer and longer periods to get the high. That's what they're doing. They're dragging out the stimulation. It's like a drug where you have to take more and more of it to get to the same place. That's the whole point, right? (laughs) It's a buzz, okay? Again, you will and you should experience God. That is different than if I said, Oh, well, I've got some acid. You want to experience God? We can have a religious experience real fast. Like, that's not the point, right? Okay, look at verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue is to pray that he may interpret. Okay, let's stop right there for a second. That verse immediately eliminates the bad use of tongues. Think about it. If you are going to speak in tongues... And you can't interpret, and there's nobody there to interpret, immediately it's, it, it goes away. It's not useful, right? That's the only regulation that Paul places that just immediately crushes the entire discussion, right? He's like, if there's no one around to edify anybody with your speaking in tongues, it's automatically not the point. You should be praying that you can edify believers with your speaking in tongues. This also begins, what we're going to see more of, is the destruction of this idea that tongues can be a private prayer language. People who speak in tongues in private prayer languages will openly tell you they don't understand what they've said. That's literally what Paul is talking about right here. He's saying, that's, that's not helpful. That's not, that's not using your mind in this. We're going to see, he's actually going to go even deeper on that. Look at verses 14. We're starting verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unproductive. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit, but I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit, but I will sing with the mind also. For otherwise, if you bless God in the spirit only, how will the one who occupies the place of the outsider know to say the amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you're saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. Okay, when I first re- read this, what I want to see is sarcasm. I want, I want Paul to be being sarcastic here. And that wasn't quite doing it because it looks like it looks like he's half saying don't do it and half acknowledging that it works, right? He's saying like, well, yeah, so your spirit's doing something, but like, but like, it's not edifying anybody. And I was like, okay, I don't, I don't understand how he's he's both condoning it and not condoning it. Okay, you have to separate what your spirit is doing from the action that your that your mouth is taking. All right, here's what Paul is saying here. Okay, uh, Paige Patterson, who was like one of the great conservatives that led the conservative resurgence in the Baptist uh, faith. It's the reason that we still have good seminaries and the reason that we are one of the only denominations not being split by a lot of the liberal issues going on in the church in other denominations. Paige Patterson is the one who writes uh, this, this explanation where he says, okay, uh, in uh, look, just look at verse 14. He says, for if I pray in tongues, my spirit prays, but my mind is unproductive. Okay, that is a verse that people cherry pick. Paul says he prays in tongues right there right what is paul saying first of all we're back to the even if language but the even if is that even if my spirit is doing something that edifies my spirit the part that involves my tongue is not helping my brain that doesn't do any good right he's splitting the actions he's not saying that when you're like pre- listen say you're you're praying in tongues maybe your spirit is actually edified because we know that the holy spirit intercedes on our behalf quite frankly you don't have to say anything in prayer for this for the holy spirit to intercede right so so he's saying okay maybe maybe when you pray in tongues your spirit is edified but it's not because of the tongues because the tongues part is not activating your brain and not edifying you at all your spirit's only edified because the holy spirit's involved in this process because the holy spirit's there with you when you pray right so he is both saying listen fine right but this part isn't what's doing it isn't what's helping you your mind is being unproductive and then he says in verse 15 he says Use the brain when you are using tongues, right? Use the brain as a, a, a form of worship. Why does he go into this uh, back? He says singing, right? Um, he says uh, I will pray and I will sing with the spirit. What's he talking about? This is the part where people get confused because they think, okay, well, if tongues is only to spread the gospel, then how does that edify the body? And also, why do we have this whole, like, passage where it seems like he's talking about something that's happening in the church building? Because that's not just spreading the gospel. Here's the deal. We go into the, into the sanctuary, right? We go into the sanctuary, and there's, there's ten different languages in the room, right? And there's a bunch of people in there. The, the sermon's going to be in English. And there's people in there that speak English, but not, like, super well, but they really speak Spanish, right? And I start to sing the song that we're singing today but it comes out in Spanish, and I don't speak Spanish, right? Why? So that the Spanish believers that hear me singing that song in Spanish can hear that song in their heart language and be edified by it, right? Okay, but then you're on the other side of me, and you don't speak Spanish either. So you hear me speaking in Spanish, and it doesn't make any sense to you. Well, the person who interprets is the person who leans over to you and goes, I don't know how, because I don't speak Spanish either, but I'm hearing that he is actually like edifying those other believers. Right. This is the system. The system is that as God in a multicultural, multilinguistic church uses supernaturally his manifestation to edify believers who, who have different heart languages, that then everybody would still understand what's going on. And no one would be distracted. No one would just hear. Even if you heard gibberish, somebody would be there to interpret. Maybe somebody gets on stage and goes, hey, I know over here we're hearing Spanish, but that's because... The Holy Spirit's moving in a way that all of the Spanish-speaking believers can hear this in their heart language. So I went to Brazil last year, and we were singing a hymn that we know in Portuguese, and they had the song up on the screen, and we were just following along, and you know the words in your head, so you're, you're just trying to pronounce the Portuguese, and you're like, this is really cool. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the song, they switched intentionally to English, and it brought tears to our eyes because it was our heart language. We could praise God in our heart language. Now, they spoke enough English to do it. They had the lyrics. Right. But what if they never felt like they like they didn't speak English and all that came out all of a sudden was English and it edified us. And then somebody else was able to say to the people in the room who didn't speak English, hey, guys, here's what's happening. They're testifying to who Jesus is, to our English brothers and sisters, to our English speaking brothers and sisters. You see what I'm saying? That's the picture of what's going on here. Right. It's it's not ecstatic speech for the sake of ecstatic speech. It is an expression and testimony of who God is that transcends language. That is the whole point, to make the gospel clearer. That's what we're doing here. He says in verse 17, Your spirit may actually be giving thanks, but what good is the tongues doing if the person who hears you can't understand to be edified by your giving thanks? See, here's the thing. When I praise God for what He's doing in my life, you should hear that and go, wow, amen. Look at what God's doing in his life. But if you can't understand me, what good does it do? That's the whole argument Paul's making here. Look at verse 18. I thank God I speak in tongues more than more than you all. Nevertheless, in church, I prefer to speak five words in my mind so that I may instruct others also, rather than ten thousand words in a tongue. Okay. Again, we're back to, we have to understand how he's using these words in the plural and the singular. Notice what he said. I speak in tongues more than all of you, right? Paul spoke in tongues because he was a missionary. He went all over and he had to spread the gospel and he often felt the manifestation of the Holy Spirit to spread the gospel cross-culturally, cross-linguistically in languages that he didn't speak, right? He says, listen, I speak tongues more than all of you, but when I'm in church with you, I'd rather speak five words of the gospel that you understand than 10,000 words in this tongue you're using that nobody gets, not even the speaker. Right? He's saying, fine, you want to speak in tongues because you think like something about that is worship in your spirit? Okay, my regulation is it better have some kind of edifying effect. But, in, but let's take the issue off the table. We don't even need to talk about this. Why would I want to do that when instead I could just spread the gospel? When, it spread, when instead I could just speak to you in the language that we both know and you can hear the gospel clearly. That's what Paul's saying. He's capping off the entire discussion by being like, I don't care if that is or isn't a way to worship God. What I care about is making the gospel clear. That's all I want to do. That's all that matters to me, right? Listen, you see this today. The churches that are so obsessed with such. Like, first of all, can I just ask this? How is it that whole churches speak in tongues? Whole churches that just that defies everything that is said in Corinthians. It's spiritual gifts are not just blankets that cover everybody the same or that we can train into you. They are given by the Holy Spirit at His will, to whom He wants to have them. Right? And then let me ask you this Ask yourself why it is that more women speak in tongues than men. Because it's an emotional experience. There's something appealing about that. But that doesn't make it the right answer. That's not the point. Okay? So my my whole, what I want you to take away from this is not that there's some kind of hardline regulation circle drawn over here of like, this is not real, this is not the thing. The question I want to ask you really is the last point. What's the point? What is the point? Because if the point is not to make the gospel clear, you've missed the point. That's it. Hey guys, this is Philip Jackson, pastor of young adults at Evergreen Baptist Church. I want to invite you to come to Reach. We meet every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at Evergreen Church in South Tulsa, just east of Mingo on 111th Street. The mission of Reach Tulsa is to cultivate a young adult community that's defined by real transformation and the sincere pursuit of a godly life through training in biblical disciplines, personal development, and intentionally transitioning into independence as mature members of the body of Christ. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe to our content. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Reach Young Adult Ministry is a part of Evergreen Baptist Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information and additional lessons, please visit our website, evergreenbc.org.